who we'll all be a month from now, a year from now, we're all constantly evolving. Don't cheat yourself out of the natural evolution by trying to control it. Just let yourself be who you are and then figure it out as you go. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today, I'm going to be having a conversation about wellness. Wellness is a term that we hear a lot lately. I feel like I'm always running into a new news story or a blog post about what I absolutely should or absolutely should not be doing right now to promote my wellness. And it can be a little bit overwhelming. There's so much information out there. A lot of it is contradictory, and it feels like so many different industries are trying to sell wellness in a bottle. But the truth is that it's complicated. Wellness doesn't look the same for everyone, and it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. And it even changes for an individual over the course of a lifetime as we change and grow. So it can be hard to know where to go for information or who to trust or what it should look like. So that's why I knew I wanted to talk about wellness on the podcast and I knew I wanted to talk to Marissa Sweeney. Marissa has worked as a registered dietitian nutritionist since 2009. She practiced dietetics at Hackensack University Medical Center, Holy Name Medical Center, and Kessler Institute of Rehabilitation. And she's developed many nutrition and wellness programs for corporations and medical practices. She has served as president of the Morristown Mayor's Wellness Campaign and was a founding member of Morristown Women in Business. She's owner and creator of New Jersey VegFest, the Garden State's official vegan and vegetarian food festival, and is the founder and owner of Be Well. Be Well is a wellness center in Morristown, New Jersey that is a coming together of licensed health professionals from various disciplines who provide a complete and whole approach to health and wellness. Marissa is super knowledgeable, super down to earth, and she provides a really authentic perspective on this topic that can be confusing and can be ridden with feelings of guilt and shame and perfectionism, and she just kind of removes all of that, and I really appreciated this conversation, and I hope you do too. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I wanted to just kind of dive in and start by asking you what led you to study um, nutrition and food science? I was actually, I feel like a lot of people that were in my major have some, you know, really, really amazing tale of, you know, how they had uh, somebody in their family that maybe had heart disease or cancer and and they really want to change their life around and and be their genetics. And, and it seems like everybody has a pretty amazing story, but, but my story is that I was actually a biochemistry major for a little while uh, at Montclair state university. I'd switched majors a few times actually, but, but as a biochemistry major, nutrition was a, an elective that we had to take. So I took nutrition as an elective and it's a very, applied kind of biochemistry that I just really liked. And after the first class that I had taken as an elective, I just switched my major and and it was the best decision I ever made. That's awesome. And I think it's actually helpful for people to hear that you don't necessarily have to be driven by um, a tragedy or something really painful to get into Um, a helping profession, right? Right. Oh, yeah. I think there's a whole bunch of different reasons why people are called to nutrition. And it's such a trendy thing Mm. nowadays for people to get into and every magazine you pick up and all over media and, you know, nutrition is a big interest. So I think people get into it for all sorts of different reasons. So um, I so yeah, I guess that's that's really how I find my how I found myself here. Did you think that it was as trendy when you started studying it um, as it is now? Or or what sort of curve have you noticed? (laughs) I, I definitely wouldn't say it was as trendy for sure when I when I got into it. So I started, let's say this is quite some years back. So I started my major in nutrition probably in like I want to say 2003 or 2004. So so it's been a while, and I've been a dietitian now for for almost 10 years. And I mean the trend has really I would say increased, and if anything, it's become it's become more mainstream to have, to be concerned about what we're putting in our bodies. And even beyond that, like people are taking a look at the ethics behind things and where is their food coming from? And, and I think it just kind of started, I like my personal theory is that I think the interest of it really kind of became to the, came to the forefront when the obesity epidemic was not getting any better. So, I mean, the question kind of arose 
especially from a public health standpoint of what can we do to improve to improve these numbers that are really that have not improved over the past like five ten years and then from there like once you really get into it and once you do your own reading and especially with the internet and information just so available and you know, from really credible sources too I, I suppose you have to dig through a lot of stuff though to find those um, because there is a lot of nutrition information out there that is incredible um, it only like it's it's interesting it's interesting material like there's seemingly new information the the almost every day the um the industry keeps evolving nutrition information keeps evolving there's constantly new research so it's i think it's it's continuously new and it's continuously fresh and there's new ideas that that can impact you today it can impact your health today and and your that that actually stretches from mental to physical health as well so um so i think the interest has only grown and i think it's only going to continue to grow there is so much material um, online yeah. that people now can do a lot of their own research of sorts. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Do you have any tips, recommendations, or warnings for people about using the internet as a form of trying to to figure out what sort of eating plan is right for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, as I said, really nutrition information is coming out of small different angles and we, and the internet is a great resource, if not the main resource, or it, in a lot of cases, the sole resource that we people are where, where they're getting their nutrition information from, but it is, it's a challenge digging through what is BS essentially, and what is actually really credible information. So so I always tell everybody, whatever, wherever you're grabbing your information from, like whatever research paper that you're reading, take a look at who funds it. And it's usually not too difficult to find out that information. Mm. See who's actually funding it. If it's an actual, if it's a product company that would have some sort of bias in the end results of the research, or um, if it's some sort of organization that would have an interest in the results of a certain study going one way or the other, like I would really, as much as people would want to believe it, you know, and, and as credible as the research may seem otherwise, you almost have to really take it with a grain of salt. It's a really kind of tricky situation, I think, navigating through like all the information and all the research that's available that really tries to mask itself as being as being pertinent and mask itself as, as being something that you can really use and implement into your life without any other agenda behind it. So, so it does get, it does get really, it gets really tricky. And another thing that I tell people too, is anything that you would, any sort of book that maybe you would buy on Amazon or that you would get in in like Barnes and Noble, that's even if it's like written by a doctor, we'll say, you know, a doctor that has this whole new take on nutrition and how you should be eating. And even those kind of books, you really have to like, like, for example, when I was in my undergrad, any sort of thing or research quote or anything that you pulled out of books like that, that you could just kind of like grab off the shelf was not considered to be credible at all. Because in a lot of cases, um, and, and I don't mean to pick on doctors because it's, there's a whole bunch of different health professionals out there, like wellness coaches and even dietitians, people that can kind of cherry pick things that they find from research. And even that research might be credible, but you can really cherry pick some things and create what seems like a very, um, a very sound argument as to why you should be eating one way or even like with lifestyle too, why you should be considering some lifestyle choices and, and make an argument that sounds, you know, pretty watertight, but even then it's still like, there's a bias that's there. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really, really difficult thing navigating through what, what information is credible and what isn't. Are there particular websites or resources that you recommend to people to check yeah. out? Yeah. I mean, they actually, I really like Harvard Medical. They mm-hmm. have a, their website. I don't know the actual URL off the top of my head, but it's very, it's very Googleable, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, their, their research is actually really good and they've gone against some things actually that the USDA has said and they've gone against some things that the FDA has said and they seem to me anyway, and I've really done a lot of digging, a lot of digging on their website to really come from a very academic, very non-biased standpoint, which I think is, it's, it's really not 
it's not an easy thing to find. So I would have to say that's the first thing. I would say Mayo Clinic is like pretty good too. It's very generalized information, uh, Mayo Clinic. So it doesn't dive into it as much as Harvard. I guess if I had to pick one, I would say the Harvard Medical website is really good. Mm. Yeah, it does seem like you can find these blogs by doctors or experts of some sort and you read this blog post and then at the very end it's like, so buy these four supplements, you know. Yeah, totally. And they're trying to sell you on something. Yeah. So there's the bias. Yeah. When you graduated undergrad, did you start practicing as a registered dietitian pretty much right away? Yeah. So right after to actually become a registered dietitian, you have to do you do. So you do your undergrad. And then after you graduate from that, there's a twelve hundred hour postgraduate internship that you have to do that you apply for. And it's very selective. So which is essentially a full time September through June school year mm-hmm. of and it's almost like like the, I guess you could say the best kind of parallel to describe what it is, is it's almost like a residency. They send you to all these different clinics and hospitals and nursing homes and communities centers and all these different places that dietitians could work and you spend a few weeks there and you shadow somebody and you kind of learn the ropes and everything and then they send you somewhere else so you have to complete 1200 hours of that before you can sit for the exam Um, but right after that as soon as I graduated from my internship within three weeks um, I was started working at Holy Name Medical um, Holy Name Medical Center which is partnered with Columbia Presbyterian. And for the most part, within my, my first my first year, I was covering the cancer unit, the oncology mm-hmm. unit. And um, and it was it was a really, really great experience. I was a little nervous going into it because I thought I'd come home ready to cry every yeah. day, like given some of these situations. But a lot of those patients, like they were just so grateful for every day. And it was surprisingly like a really positive and, and even at times like uplifting experience. So I did that. And um, come my second year, I was covering the intensive care unit also. And I wow. did that for a few years. So you must have been really young doing those jobs too. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. So, well, let me think. So I have been a dietitian, will be 10 years in October. So, yeah, and I'm, and I'm 34 now. So yeah, I was like 24, 25, something like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, especially I would have to say most, especially the intensive care unit dietitians are usually more experienced, but the person who the dietitian who had covered that unit for years just happened to leave and that opportunity presented itself to me. And, and it actually was an amazingly educational experience. So I was really happy to be able to do that for a few years. What kinds of patients would you be working with in the intensive care unit? So usually I would have to say the large majority of intensive care unit patients are intubated and sedated, meaning they're essentially on what what some people consider to be life support for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's induced as in, you know, they're they're coming out of a surgery that was maybe major enough that they that they have to be under for longer than what the surgery requires for. Um, or, you know, every now and then there's like a trauma situation in which like a coma is induced. But but sometimes it's not. And to be able to sustain somebody's life during that period of time, like let's say, just to give you an example, if somebody's going to be in a coma for 30 days, and you know, and sometimes you don't know when that end date is, but just to give you an example, they somebody would end up dying of starvation first before they actually recovered. Wow. So you then have to either decide, like, are you going to go do a tube feeding? Um, in which you actually use somebody's gastrointestinal tract. And there's a whole bunch of different entry points for that. Like sometimes they do, it's called a a nasogastric tube where they actually kind of snake. It's weird when you think about it, but they snake like a little tube, like up through your nostrils, up through your nostrils, it goes down to your stomach. Um, Or sometimes they'll do what's called like a peg tube, which is more of like an incision that goes right into your stomach. It's really crazy stuff. But if you can use somebody's gastrointestinal system, like that's always recommended to go that way, to keep that active and to keep it moving and to keep the bacteria from translocating. Um, but otherwise, sometimes it's what's called TPN, meaning tonal parenteral nutrition, and that's IV. And it's about mixing the right kind of macronutrients and micronutrients and vitamins and electrolytes and looking at somebody's blood work every single day to make sure you're giving them right amount of doses that goes directly into their bloodstream to essentially sustain their life while they heal. So there's a lot of metabolic concerns then because they're healing that would go on top of that. And everybody, I, I would say, absorbs vitamins and minerals at a different rate in a different way. You have to look at everybody's blood work every day. It's pretty intense. It was very mentally yeah. stimulating. I would have to say, but that's kind of right up my alley. Like, I really like the fact that it was very mentally stimulating every day. 
that's so amazing that it's really blowing my mind that <laughs> like um it's interesting how you went from working with um patients who had cancer and you talked about kind of their gratitude and um it yeah. sounds like there's a really like strong interpersonal element in that work and then you went into this intensive care work where you're really like where you you don't have responsive patients right you right. you're you're There's working directly relationship. with the right. body and how the body works you must have learned so much about how the body works um, yeah. hands on in that it was a really great educational experience and yeah there was something really nice because i was kind of working both units simultaneously there was something really nice about having the personal connection of working with the cancer patients and then also getting a little bit more of like the mental stimulating element of it in the intensive care unit. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then were you, what did you do after, um, after those positions? I, so I worked at Holy Name for, I want to say a good three years or so. Um, and it was great. Like I, I really met a lot of amazing people there. A lot of those people I still talk to. Um, just working in a hospital, you're among a very intelligent community. So I mean, the people the people there were really great. But I really wanted to. I really wanted to kind of, I guess you could say, expand out in a way to help people more. It's limited what dietitians can really do in hospitals for for a number of reasons. You know, you only have a limited amount of time with the patient. As soon as a patient gets admitted into the hospital, the first goal is to get them out of there as soon as possible. Um, you know, of course within, you know, we don't want to get anybody out there too soon, but that's really the goal is to it's it's a very acute care when nutrition, I think in my opinion, really serves a bigger purpose when it's in the preventative setting mm. setting. So in order to help people more, I really wanted to start an outpatient practice or essentially like a private practice. So, so I started to do that on the side and as to not compete with Holy Name Hospital, which is considered a community hospital in uh, Bergen County, I got a little office space, me and actually another dietitian that I used to work with in that hospital got like a little office space. It was terrifying at the time as I'm thinking about it because we had never done anything like that bold. And like we were still under five years actually being dietitians, both her and I. And, um, and we, I'll never forget, we signed this lease for this tiny little office space. And like my hand was shaking and yeah. I was signing the lease because it was so scary. But, um, but her and I shared that office and it was in Morris County, in Morristown. Like we wanted to make sure that we were outside of the county lines mm. so that there would never be an issue of maybe us losing our jobs prematurely because we were then competing with, with Holy Name Hospital. So it was a lot of long hours after my full eight and a half hour day at Holy Name. I would drive all the way out to Morristown in rush hour and then see patients into the night and then on the weekends. But you kind of do that enough to be able to build up your own practice and then eventually make the jump over. So that's essentially how I got into private practice. It sounds like you, you started to see that the issues that people were having were issues that couldn't be solved just through diet alone, right? Like you started yeah. to to really look at how their lives as a whole and their bodies as systems needed an overhaul in different areas, right? Right. And that's what kind of spawned be the whole idea of Be Well. So the more people that came to me looking for that lifestyle change, the more multifaceted I realized that that change had to be for them to be successful. Like it's not always, and my whole scope of professionalism, like my whole scope of practice is, is the diet piece. So I can do meal plans for people and I can make them really personalized given their their needs and their medical conditions and what have you. But there's also a psychological component that goes into why we eat the things that we do. Right. And there's a, there's a mindfulness and there's some people haven't set foot. I mean, some of the people that were my patients, they hadn't set foot in a public exercise setting, maybe in 20 years, maybe never, you know, and there was a lot of mental boundaries. So, and I realized that I wasn't always the professional that they necessarily needed exclusively. So I wanted to take on a team of health and wellness professionals that had uh, the highest or at least like what's required to to practice in their particular like niche of wellness to be able to bring them on and have them be the professionals but we all operate under one roof and we're all like one cohesive wellness team to be able to provide that complete approach to wellness is mm. what I was hoping to do. 
Be Well was essentially the the taking on of all these professionals and turning us into a wellness center. So, uh, yeah, I, I was in private practice for maybe I want to say like I'm going to have to do the the math all backwards now. <laughs> be Well Be Well is going to be six years old on October first. So, and I probably had my private practice maybe like two or three years before that mm-hmm. for a while, and and that and then so came Be Well. What types of practitioners do you have on staff at Be Well now? What are their different disciplines? So we have, well, nutrition, obviously, and I do nutrition counseling. I also have two other dietitians, one that specializes in pediatrics, who's actually a rock star. Like she did 10 years over in uh, New York Presbyterian also in their NICU. And, um, and I have another dietitian, Gabrielle, who's somebody that I've worked with for a long time. And, um, and both really great. So the nutrition team is really awesome. But we also have a mental health team. So we have Dr. Christine Kantner, who's a psychologist. Um, we're also taking on, a, well, we had for a long time, actually, Dr. Allison Fox, who is an integrative physician. And she was she's really, really great. So it's, it's, we had her as well as we have a massage therapist who's also a registered nurse. And um, she does a lot of health advocacy stuff. So she does a lot of classes. And, um, and she sees patients to kind of, because really in this whole, like the, the way healthcare is, you really do need to be your own health advocate. So she has a lot of patients just that she sees for that. And that's where the nursing kind of comes in. We also have an acupuncturist. Um, I forgot to mention this. We have a social worker also who's, I guess, part of the mental health kind of subdivision of of um, be well because she does counseling and everything but she's also a registered nurse and then uh, we do Reiki which is a very eastern medicine kind of thing like I guess you could say there's a spectrum of services that we offer that that spans both western and eastern medicine and she would be like way on that far end it's more energy work and then we also have the yoga studio too which has about I want to say 25 classes I think we're at now a week and we do workshops and it's all under one roof so that's so that's kind of the roster, I guess you could say, of people that we have. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's amazing how it really does feel like a community um, center. Like community seems like a really important aspect to the work, like the way that you have um, the volunteer program so that people can volunteer to um, sign people in at the front desk and then they can take a yoga class for free, right? Right. Oh, Yeah community is definitely big not only like the community among the teams so that we're all a nice cohesive group that we're able to benefit the patients better but also like giving people that feeling of community when they come in here and we love Morristown we love everything about Morristown I mean I feel like the whole Morristown community has been so good to us that we're really happy to do we do things outside of our walls all the time like taking yoga classes to the farmer's market we're going to be taking a yoga class to Grand Fondo we do a lot of stuff for free we like benefiting the nonprofits that are Morristown based. So I think community is, is hugely important for, for the survival slash success of, of Be Well. And do you think that's something that's important to people's wellness in general? Like, do you see community as a, as a, an important piece of people's overall health and well-being? Oh, absolutely. Like social health is so huge. And I think sometimes it goes a little neglected too. And and I can't tell you how many people actually, we were at the farmer's market earlier today doing a, a donation yoga class outside. And there's a good, I want to say five people that came up to our booth and said, Hey, I just moved to Morristown a year ago. or I just moved to Morristown a few weeks ago. And so I think there's a lot of transplants that are coming to Morristown mm-hmm. as it continues to grow. And people, people don't know anybody. You're starting in a new city in a new town where you don't know people and and us being kind of the community that that people find and and the fact that that some people actually find a bit of a home here like means I think more to me than than anything because that's what it's meant to be like it's it's meant to be I like I want be well and I and I think we've done a pretty good job with this too to be this place of absolutely no judgment everybody's welcome all abilities all ages there's no like there's no snootiness or <laughs> or snottiness about anything that we do like it's meant to be like a warm and welcoming space you know and i think that's where people get the the benefit the, or the the biggest benefit out of their treatment i think that's where people feel most comfortable it's kind of like a come as you are thing so yeah yeah it seems like a lot of people struggle with feeling really isolated and it that can be increased, it seems like, by having, I mean, it sounds so old and cranky to be like, technology. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I know there are all these studies about like teenagers are 
going to parties less and, you know, um, meeting up with each other in person less and spending more time on their phones. And um, but I think it's not just teenagers. It seems like it really affects everyone. And even just our our general culture of people often moving for a job and moving to a place where they don't know anyone and then they feel isolated. Like it just seems so important to have places like Be Well where, yeah, it's true. I The first time I went there, I was kind of nervous. I didn't know if people would be welcoming and it is an incredibly calming and welcoming space. And, um, oh, and that's it's great. It's nice how you use social media to encourage real in-person connection. Like you have a Facebook group for the volunteers, but in that group, you're inviting people to come to the studio to volunteer to come to get togethers that you have so it seems like a really nice way to to use both of those things oh thanks yeah I mean I was I grew up in Point Pleasant so I'm also a Morristown transplant and when I first came here about like six years ago it must have been now five or six years ago I didn't know anybody and I actually actually the first like three weeks that I was in my brand new apartment my husband was out in California training for a new company that he had signed on with said that which is in his whole company's based out in California so I felt like I was here and so alone and I thought I made like the worst decision of my life (laughs) so like I I been there I think we've all been there so um, so I'm happy to be able to kind of pass on a feeling and provide a feeling of community to anybody that wants to be a part of it yeah I'm wondering how you would define wellness or what you think the major components of wellness are obviously we just touched on community and social health but what else do you think make up a person's overall health and wellness yeah. Um, th- yeah, that's actually, that's a fully loaded question, but I, yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> so however you're thinking about it today, <laughs> I want to say, I think there's a couple different ways that you can look at it. Um, like, so health and wellness now are kind of synonymous, you know, people think like if I'm healthy, that also includes lifestyle factors as well, not just what they eat or not just the fact that they're going to, to the gym, like maybe like a half an hour a day. Like there's, there's a bunch like, well, there's a bunch of things that come into that. Wellness is really multifaceted. So not only is it what you eat and, and, you know, are you actually getting some physical activity? Um, but it's also going back to the community element. Like, do you have, do you have a, a social life that you're happy with, you know, and there's all different varying degrees. Everybody's right. very different. Right. Um, like, do you have a social life that you're happy with? Do you have meaningful relationships? Like, do you feel as though um, you have a, a purpose in your life that, that gives you, that gives you a feeling of meaning and a feeling of, of relevance and like all this stuff is very important and they could, and for each individual, everything is weighted so differently too. Um, as to, you know, how much importance really lies into each particular category um, and where people are putting their efforts and, and where and what balance in particular provides people with the most happiness. So it's this the idea of wellness is so it's so vast and it encompasses so much. And there's a ton of things that can really fit under that umbrella that like be well, like when I talk about be well, I always make sure to say that that we don't necessarily have everything, you know, in so many words that we don't have everything to make you feel be well, because that's very dynamic. It's, it's very dynamic and it's very different for everybody. And, and I just simply would not have enough space (laughs) to really take on all the different practitioners that, that I would really want. And I, and I think wellness is almost something that you have to find within yourself. Like what, what it because I think it's also very synonymous with happiness too. Like it's not just it's I think we all have this idea that um oh I'm gonna go to the gym and I, like and look at me on Instagram taking all these pictures of, you know like everybody is so quick and and ready to tell everybody about like how they worked out their physical bodies. But you know but by that we also need to work out our mental side of things as well that I think kind of quietly goes you know, sometimes neglected. So, I mean, there's, so I feel like I'm just rambling at this point, but there's so much, there's so much that goes into the whole concept of wellness that it's going to end up being so individualized and so specific for, for people. So a lot of times when people come in to be well, it's a lot of, it's a lot about finding out like not only 
what they need, but what they want, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes people come in and there are some things that they really need to address. Like maybe some people are coming in to see me, maybe they have diabetes or maybe they have um, an eating disorder, or maybe there's something in their blood work that they really need to address. Maybe they have high cholesterol or like whatever the case may be. Um, like every now and then you'll get like a clinical marker in which like, all right, this is what they need to address. Or maybe anybody seeing the psychologist, you know, maybe they have like some anxiety that they really need to address or they have like whatever like the needs are, but it really goes beyond that. It's like, what do you want also? You know, it's almost like goes back to that. I think Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Mm. you know, like we can address like maybe what you need, but how about, but how about what you want? What's going to make you happy? Like what is really going to put you in the best state of wellness? So, um, so I, so I would say in so many words, I guess you could say that kind of encompasses some of the thoughts I have. It's interesting because especially for young people, I think, we want to just have a concrete answer (laughs) to things. And our bodies are so complicated and everything's so interconnected. And I know for me, like in my 20s, I've slowly been learning that it is like a learning journey of introducing yourself to your own body and getting to know it and understand how your body works. And absolutely, it seems like we also will get very obsessed with trying to control our physical health and trying to be perfect. Oh, absolutely. I'm wondering if you run into that, like an unhealthy obsession with health and an a, and a perfectionistic attitude when it comes to particularly with diet and particularly for, well, I don't know if it's particular to women, but it it does seem like... It can be. It can yeah. Be. I'm curious what your experience is when you're trying to help people develop a good meal plan for them or whatever. Yeah. What is the perfectionism that you have to deal with? There's a lot of perfectionism, actually funny you should say that. There's really, there's something about, I think a lot of people um, very easily get into this all or nothing mentality. Mm -hmm. They're either all in and like they're eating boiled chicken and vegetables and going to the gym three hours a day, or they are not doing a thing. Mm -hmm. And they're just going to like get some pizza on the way home. Like there's something about the gray area. There's something about balance. That's really, really a difficult thing to achieve because, and I often tell a lot of people that come into my office that the all or nothing mentality is, I find that to be like the diet saboteur. The kiss of death, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. It will completely crush all your efforts. Like I'll give you an example. Um, Like there are some times where like if people, you know, are, are really motivated to eat better, just to give you one example, um, they'll maybe they'll wake up in, in the morning and then the, and the chatter in their head is just like, all right, today's going to be a really good day. I'm motivated. I'm going to eat really healthy. Things are awesome. And then a moment a French fry kind of wafts by <laughs> and they eat it. It's over. It's and over. then people are like, well, you know what? Now today's ruined. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm going to start next week. I'm going to start me- next month and kick it down the road. And nothing is ever worth, you know, that, that, maybe 2000 calories that happens after you have your one little French fry, like nothing will ever be perfect. Like there's always going to be bumps in the road. So uh, that's what I mean about that all or nothing mentality. Like, and it's guilt too. Like Mm. people are like, why, why did I have to eat that? And they will completely, completely beat themselves up. So like one thing that I really make sure to tell people when they're in my office, like, and it's usually almost like a closing remark, but like any guilt that you carry about any, thing that you eat at any time you just have to let it go and it's much Mm. easier said than done but it is not serving you and it is not serving any of your efforts so actually people overcoming the guilt of not not being as perfect as they would like to be like that's a really really difficult thing but also being mindful of it you know like some people like often when I tell them that little story that I just told you about like how guilt can really consume people like I would have to say way more often than not, people are like, oh my God, I totally do that. That is totally me. Mm-hmm. So now that they're aware of it, you know, now that you're aware of how you're, you're reacting to an action or to a thought, you can, you can hopefully maybe kind of cut it in its path and, and realize that you don't have to throw the whole day away. Um, and there's going to be little bumps in the road on this journey and nobody's ever going to be perfect and it doesn't have to be so black and white and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, it's almost like a rewiring of your brain 
to think that life can exist in the middle somewhere, that mm-hmm. there's like a little bit of a balance that maybe you can ha- let yourself have like a little treat every day and actually still be a healthy person and still be at the weight that you want to be and actually have a positive body image. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the final frontier. If we can all learn to have a little bit of balance and accept it without guilt, I mean, that's it's a big obstacle to overcome. Yeah, it's I've struggled with that, too. And um I, it's so interesting because there was a time when I was trying to eat a really strict diet. It was for a health related reason, but I got into that all or nothing mentality and it actually wasn't a very healthy diet in the end. And I didn't feel very good. I wasn't, I don't think I was eating enough vegetables. I wasn't eating any sugar. So I wasn't eating like any fruit. Um, Right. And I was doing that for like a month and then I had I finally was just like, I don't think this actually is healthy. And it's been in the last year that I've like taken a much more kind of, I can't remember who said eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Do you know that? Yeah, <laughs> I think that might be, I might be mistaken, but I think that's like an old proverb. Yeah. But yeah so I know. I kind of had that, not, I mean, I eat meat, but I, I, I kind of have had that, that light, that lightness in my mind about eating where it's like I focus more on what are the things that are going to make me feel good versus labeling all these other foods bad and I can't have them it is so um it seems like it it's um, that's where the the psychological component like you said can come in and where if someone is struggling with like a lot of shame and a lot of guilt maybe they need some help from a psychologist or a mental health practitioner who can help them look at themselves in a different way right and have a different relationship with themselves because yeah like that guilt is can be so crippling and paralyzing and destructive yes Yes, absolutely and honestly that usually is where the psychologist comes into play too because often when people like I've noticed like a little bit of a of a pattern I guess you could say that when especially when it comes to weight loss that when people are losing weight and and they're in a group of things and they're feeling good and they're seeing the number go down on the scale suddenly like usually at some point like some stuff starts to come up of mm-hmm. you know of of maybe why they got themselves into where they were in the first place, you know, and people, and people struggle with that. As I mentioned before, that like rewiring of their brain, that is, you know, it's actually, it's okay to have a, like a little bit of something. Life is long. That's yeah. one thing that I tell people a lot, yeah. you know, because, because people come into my office and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're telling me that I can like, ha- you know, have a slice pizza every now and that, or like whatever it is. <laughs> and like almost kind of like in a way, like saying like, I can't possibly be a credible, you know, nutrition professional by me saying that. <laughs> Like the truth of it is, if somebody came in my office and I said, hey, never again in your life, pizza, it's out. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And now it becomes the thing that like the next time you have a slice of pizza, whether it be tomorrow or like three years from now, you're going to be like, forget it. I can't do this anymore. This right. is ridiculous. Right. And back to that all or nothing mentality. And we get so, into that judgmental mindset of labeling things good or bad and then labeling ourselves yeah. good or bad, depending on what we've, it's, we even use that language of I've been so good lately or I've been so bad lately to describe how we've been eating. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And that's kind of when like the mental stuff is a little bit more deep rooted than, than I, my scope of professionalism covers. That's when like the psychologist really comes in or sometimes even the people see the psychologist first and then they end up seeing me afterwards. Mm. Like plenty of people kind of bounce around and try out all the different services here um, to really, to really get that full, that full spectrum wellness. Mm. So. Yeah, and I feel like it's important for people to know that lots of people feel this way because we tend to often be so much more harsh on ourselves and to compare ourselves to people that we assume are perfect. Yeah. And then we just lack any compassion for ourselves and any sense of common humanity. Like, no one is perfect. So, no one eats perfectly, even if, you know. No yeah. one eats perfectly, right? <laughs> no, nobody ever will. It's just it's just the truth of it. 
So, and you know what? We're programmed as humans that if we see food to go for it. So if you're at a party, there's this bowl of chips that's been sitting out in front of me for like three hours that I haven't touched. Like at some point, like chances are you're going to crack and have one. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's so, granted it's all like a state of mind. So, you know, of course some people won't, but we kind of live in a world where there's unhealthy food and, and anything could be engineered. Right. So everything is super sweet or super rich or super savory and just really is completely developed to make us want to eat it. And right. Food is in absolute abundance. And so, I mean, of course, it's going to happen every now and then. Of course it is, you know? Yeah, and I know for me, like, depending on the environment that I'm in, if I'm just totally – if I'm just by myself and I'm controlling the food that I'm buying from the grocery store and that's in the house, then it's so much easier to to eat lots of healthy foods and eat less unhealthy foods and – yeah. Than it is when, you know, maybe you're on vacation with friends or something and, you know, yeah. oh, absolutely. <laughs> the environment is so important. Yeah. Oh, totally. Exactly. Like what I feel like we've all heard before, but it's, it holds a lot, a lot of truth. Like what you have at your house or like what you surround yourself in is what's available. Like that's, that's what you're going to eat. So if you're not bringing, you know, some of like the crappy or junkier food in your house, it's, it's not an option anymore. So, and same thing, like I usually tell some people that come into my office, but let there be a rule of five with healthy snacks is then have five healthy snacks around you. And I usually give people a list of just to get some ideas going of, of what a healthy snack could be and just put them all over the place. Like maybe you have two in your bag, have one in your car, have two at home, yeah. and, uh, you know, some so at your desk you're, at work, right? <laughs> yeah. Wherever you know you're going to be so that you're never stuck in a situation which, in which you're without a healthy option, you know, even it's so you don't have your one boring healthy option. You're just not in the mood for right because otherwise you're at the mercy of what the world is providing which is like the starbucks around the corner or the vending machine down the hallway or like you know whatever it's you're you're at the mercy of what the world provides rather than what you're providing for yourself so yeah. recreating that environment i think is important yeah um are i i know it is all very complicated and there are so many different ways to approach it and every person is different but are there any kind of general, like one or two things that, that are somewhat universal that are kind of, I mean, that's a really good example of like the snacks. Um, is there anything else that you typically tell people about uh, that are good habits? The snack thing. Um, so that, yeah, that's like a little trick, I suppose. I'm trying to think what else. Um, I kind of like, and I know like the people like Weight Watchers and other programs like use this. I kind of like using your hands to portion things. Like I mm. know it could be a little corny, but you'll always have your hands with you, not the measuring cup so much. Yeah. So if you were to make the a fist, that's about like the volume of a cup. Um, and things like vegetables, always let vegetables be unlimited to you. Maybe with like the, the small exception of like potatoes and corn just because they could be pretty starchy and like some of the root vegetables aside from that like nobody ever had a health concern they wanted to address or a weight problem they wanted to fix because they were eating too many vegetables it <laughs> <Yeah>. never happened <laughs> so like I think a lot of people sometimes get on these diet plans where they think you know well I can't eat anything right now and then they start to feel deprived like vegetables as maybe they're not so exciting for some people but they're always available to you and this yeah. is where you're going to get the large majority of all your micronutrients of all your um, plant sterols and all your vitamins and minerals and electrolytes so have at it like don't be hungry throughout the day all right so that's another tip actually that I could just par parlay right <laughs> mm. into is don't don't be hungry throughout the yes. day because once hunger starts yeah. making decisions for you it's over like that's when it's like there's almost like an anxiety that sets in when people get hungry of just like, oh, my God, what am I going to eat? Well, yeah. I'm just going to eat this cookie because it's right here. And like I need to eat something. I'm hungry. This is ridiculous. Like there's like a there's a panic almost yeah. that can set in. And that's also very innate. Like that's kind of, you know, that's kind of bred into our genetics. To like our, your blood sugar drops and you get a little anxious, right? <laughs> exactly. That's that's exactly it. So be prepared for these little situations. Yeah. Uh, and so a little bit, a little bit goes a long way. That's another thing I say to people all the time. Like, cause I think it goes back to that, you know, to counter that all or nothing thing. Every tiny little thing counts. Like everything that you do that's positive is going to be a step in the right direction. Mm. That, that really on a macro level is going to make the change that you want to see. You just got to keep on keeping on. Yeah. And like you said, life is long, right? So... I, life is long especially yeah. when you're 
younger, I feel like it can be so, you do kind of think like, oh, I have to overhaul it all and I need to do it now. And yeah, yeah I've been finding as I go through my 20s, like, oh yeah, um, no, I have to like take things a step at a time and be realistic yeah. with myself. Like, see myself a little more clearly and be realistic about like what I what I'm what's going to be more difficult for me and what are some changes that I can actually really um make stick right and it's not an easy thing to do for what it's worth like it's really not I mean once people get motivated they want to take on the world and you know and the idea of the the like the recommended weight loss is is one to two pounds a week the idea of that is so painfully slow that, you know, it's not enough. I think we're all, I've been joking for years about how I'm going to write this book called Nutrition Magic, because <laughs> we're all, we're all looking for this nutrition yeah. magic, you know, tell me about some lemongrass drink that I can have every morning for three weeks and I'm going to lose 20 yeah. pounds or tell me about like, like just something that I haven't heard before, like spin, eat less and move more in some sort of crazy way that I haven't heard before. And, and so it could be my cure all. And like, the truth of it is, is that, it, it's meant to be, it, it's, it's so basic, you know, like the idea of eat less and move more is almost too boring. It's far yeah. too boring. Nobody wants to hear anything about that. And even actually the proverb that you quoted, the, um, like eat, but, or, uh, what was it that you yeah, quoted? Yeah, um, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Right. Yeah. So eat food, not too much. That's so vague. Yeah. Like, who, who cares? Like <laughs> I need, I, that's, there's something so like painfully vague about that, that like people need definitive or that's what we look for. We look for what can I do that's going to give me results. And especially now, you know, like what, do, what can I do that I know is going to be surefire for me? And the truth of it is, is that it's never a one size fits all. You know, I don't mean this to sound like fluffy hippie stuff here, no, but like but there's, true. Yeah, it's true. And it's also, you kind of have to know, you have to discover a lot about you to know what's going to work for you in the long term here. You know, we all know what can work in the short term. Like anybody that comes in my office, like if I say, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you lose 30 pounds over (laughs) like the next like two months, like sure enough, I don't even have to give them a diet plan. They're going to lose 30 pounds two months. You know, like we all know what we could do in the short term, but how about in the long term? Yeah. Like what can, what can you do to make this sustainable? What can you do to make this last? What can you do to have every time you step on the scale, it be the last time you see that number and to make that, that change that you really want to see on the, on the macro level that takes a lot of exploring and a lot of kind of finding out who you are and what's going to resonate with you and what's going to work for you, given your schedule and your likes and your dislikes. And there's a lot, there's a lot to consider. Yeah, it wasn't until I, I when I was 23, I, I developed a chronic yeast infection um, or recurring, didn't really go away for like three years, basically, um, on and off. And that was what really got me to finally start like paying attention to like, how does my body feel? What am I what am I feeding myself? And then like, how are the different systems of my body connected? And I just wanted, obviously, for this thing to go away as soon as possible. And I wanted there to be like one magic answer. Um, But there wasn't. And it's been, it's been this like slow learning process. Um, But yeah, that idea of like, if there's just a magic bullet and also the shame of like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. Right. Um, or I, you know, and there was like no compassion in my approach at first. Like that's when I was on like a crazy um, strict diet to try to like remove all sugar from my from my mm-hmm. diet. And when you don't have any compassion for yourself with it, um, that it's really counterproductive, actually, even though you think you're kind of like I used to think of myself as I didn't realize this. But even as a teenager, young adult, when I had I had more acne and I always felt like I was like in a battle with my skin, you know, Mm -hmm. or like in a battle against my body. And that's kind of how it's marketed often with products is like zap this zit, you know, and it's like very aggressive when actually like if you have sensitive skin, you should probably be pretty gentle with it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or if you have a sensitive stomach, you should probably be kind of gentle with yourself. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, even the idea of looking kind of within yourself for what your body really needs and even to bring yourself to that place of mindfulness requires a self-love that some people aren't quite there yet with, yeah. you know, 
like some people, they're, they're just not quite there. I mean, it's not necessarily an easy thing. And also for what it's worth too, like we live, we live in a day and age where there's a lot of additives in our food and there's a lot of hormones in the meats that we eat and there's uh, the chemicals and dyes and there's all sorts of this stuff that's put in our food that we've all really kind of like grown up with. Like, oh yeah, yeah here, have a bag of Doritos. Of course you like Doritos. They're delicious. Yeah. Like. It goes back to what I'm saying. Everything is engineered. So now you're exposed to all this stuff that your body's really not supposed to have. So, of course, you know, if, if everybody in society is doing it and it's seemingly okay to everybody, you know, then then why would it not be okay for you? And that's when people start to turn on themselves. Like, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. I must be doing something wrong. So when really the deck can sometimes be stacked against you with what the world is providing us. So it, that's, that in and of itself, too, is another very multifaceted thing. Yeah, it seems like it's important to remind yourself that there are so many factors, you know, it's not just that like yeah. you are this bad, weak <laughs> right. person <laughs> for right. caving and eating certain things. And Oh, yeah. absolutely. And it's enough to make anybody mad. It really is. Yeah. Like if there's some health issue that's going on or if you feel like your body is just not cooperating with you, with you in whatever way that is, like the way you would want it, it's enough to make anybody crazy because yeah. you're trying this diet and you're trying that, that the skincare product and you're trying this and you're trying that and I don't get what's going on. And it's like it's and it's like that feeling of that loss of control. Um, yeah. and even like on a tiny level, it's just, it's unsettling. It's yeah. Really the loss of control is scary. And yeah, for me, like what I was dealing with wasn't life threatening, but it was certainly very uncomfortable and inconvenient and unpleasant and affected, yeah. you know, my life. And, and I think that's kind of the type of issue where it's like, Hmm, if, if men got these in the same way, <laughs> like, right. would there right. be more research and more help other than, um, what, what doctors are telling like doctors who are kind of shrugging at me like well yeah um, and I'm curious like for people who who do want to take a more holistic approach to their health but don't I mean it can be so expensive like not yeah. everyone has the financial resources maybe either they don't have health insurance or mm. um, not a, a very comprehensive plan or there's just a lot of a lot of holistic practitioners, you know, can't accept insurance or don't accept insurance. I'm curious, mm -hmm. like, what you think about affordability around holistic health and what are some things people can, can try to do when they don't, yeah. when they have limited financial resources? Um, well, I would have to say, well, I want to say the large majority of our, of the people at Be Well, like the, the uh, health professionals do accept medical insurance mm -hmm. in network, which does make it affordable for a lot of people, Good. but not everybody to yeah. your point, not everybody. Um, so, I mean, we try to work with people like the absolute best that we possibly can. Like, I got to tell you, I'm such a sucker for like putting the patient first that like, as long as I can keep the lights on, <laughs> like it's, I mean, if somebody really comes to me looking for that for that lifestyle change and you can see it's something that they want and they just need a little bit of direction. Like I'm happy to help people in any way possible. Like we're more than willing to work with, with people and it, it's usually on a sliding scale or, you know, it's, or, or whatever it is. But, but even then there's a ton, like I actually started the Morristown mayor's wellness campaign with the mayor. And that was to kind of bring to light some of the, I shouldn't even say some, the thousands of free health and wellness resources mm. that are, that are in Morristown that are absolutely free of charge. And Morristown is a small place. We're this three square miles and that's it with Morristown. And I think there's so many resources and there's so much available and it's right under everybody's nose and people just don't know that mm. it exists. So the whole purpose of like this mayor's wellness campaign was to, to shed some light on these resources that are right under everybody's nose so that, um, especially with some of the underserved populations that go on in, in communities and, and Morristown so that they know that these resources are there. Like, and it's not just, you know, your bare bones wellness. I mean, your bare bones, um, health services, but it's also wellness services mm. too, you know? And like I said, we do a lot of free stuff too, but for anybody that can't find a fit in any way with Be Well, like I, me or like one of the staff people here, we're really trying to find the place that's good for them. And we have really great relationships with some of like the medical clinics, with some of the other businesses, like we're really, really integrated into the community. So, and it is, it, it is patients and students first. So if there's any way we can help people, whether it's, in, whether it's inside of our walls or out, we're in, we're into it. 
Yeah. And like you said, I mean, everyone really does have to be their own health advocate. Um, are there, um, places people can go to learn more about what might be around them? Yeah, I believe there's, and I'm probably not going to give you the correct URL right now, but I believe it might be like 511 or like health five. I'm going to have to Google it um, and maybe get you that website later on. But there is a, there is a particular website that's very similar to that. I'm wondering if you Google it, it'll come right up that gives you kind of like a list with links of free resources that are available mm-hmm. to you. I would have to say if you go to like the new, um, the uh, North Jersey Health Collaborative website, um, which I don't know the the actual like website URL off the top of my head, but if you type in North Jersey uh, Health Collaborative, their website comes up and that's like a big collaboration of organizations. I think it's mostly run, uh, powered by Atlantic Health um, with a whole bunch of sponsors and partners that like release just any public information of not just like on the epidemiology level, but also resources. Like here's where this free screening is going to be, or here's, mm-hmm. here's where this clinic's going to be. So, um, so there, that website is really good. The North Jersey health collaborative, um, and also just more locally, like right in town. I, I used to do a lot of work with Zufo Health Center. They're really amazing. Uh, they've done a ton of amazing work in New Jersey. And they're, I would have to say, like their main patient is is somebody that's like somebody of the like the underserved community or maybe somebody that doesn't have insurance at all and they do a sliding scale and and even if like there are some people that come in and they're not paying a, to- a dime for health care and and they have like a whole wellness service like um what uh, what's that place that's right on I'm trying to, it's like a wellness center. They have a kitchen studio there and they do classes there. I've done Mm -hmm. a few like kind of like cooking classes for people that are SNAP eligible or people that are WIC eligible. So they really, they're like a whole health and wellness center that we have an amazing relationship with that really their big focus is the underserved population or people that maybe don't have the financial means to pay for health and wellness services, you know, by other by, by other ways yeah so there but it but again it's about it's about letting people know about these resources so we often send people to Zufall because they're phenomenal mm. um yeah. yeah so there are resources out there and a lot of the time it sounds like there's just um they're not necessarily as visible that's uh, just it and yeah. that's what the mayor's wellness campaign that's really what i set out to do with the mayor's wellness campaign yeah. is let's not only, I guess, much like Be Well, when when I think about it now, like let's c- create community among us professionals. Um, like the the board members of the Mayor's Wellness Campaign is like Patrice Pickard from from Neighborhood House and um, and Erica, who's the CEO, or I, that might be not her official title, but she or executive director that is of Grow It Green and all these people that are out there doing community work. Let's come together. Let's pull the resources together and the information together that we can. And, and what's like the town is actually building out a website so that you would be able to go and see what resources are available and what we're all doing. And let's just all work to serve the community that Mm -hmm. this very small community that we're all a part of the best we possibly can um, and let people know about the things that we're doing. So it's, it's an effort. It's definitely a work in progress, but I, but it, it has done some pretty good things so far. That's awesome. Um, and another initiative that, that you founded is the New Jersey Veg Fest, right? Yeah. Um, could you just talk about that a little bit? I feel like my whole life at the Veg Fest is so different than my life with Be Well and, Mm. and, and the stuff that I do in Morristown. But so the New Jersey Veg Fest is a vegan food festival and we hold it. We have two big events a year. We have one in the Meadowlands, which is of uh, I think it's October sixth and seventh, Saturday and Sunday. It's the first Saturday and Sunday of October this year, as well as we do it in July in Atlantic City. We're also thinking about in the winter holding a big event in Philadelphia. Oh wow! And and then we do like little small. We like to call them pop ups, which are really it's the same event but just a much smaller scale. Like maybe we will only have like anywhere from thirty to sixty vendors. Um, in like we do it in convention hall in asbury park um we're looking to go to montclair we're going to montclair this week to check out some spaces um and it's essentially it's like it's it's oddly a similar concept to the mayor's wellness campaign in in a much much different way in that there's like people that want to live a more plant-based lifestyle 
it's not the easiest. I think anybody that says that they try to live plant-based, we can all get together and commiserate about <laughs> how how it's really not that easy in the state of New Jersey. You know, like things haven't progressed. You know, we're, we're not quite there yet for, for it to be easy to live plant-based. And this is a way that all these vendors are all these small-time businesses that, and this whole plant-based movement, I mean, of course, it's been around for years, but it's really coming to the forefront or even, you know, entertaining the idea of putting in the same sentence as the word mainstream is, mm. you know, that's only within the past, like, I want to say two years. So a lot of these businesses are brand new and they're trying to make it happen being a plant-based business, whether that be a restaurant or somebody that has a food product or a bar or a drink or a, a clothing line or, or whatever, like a vegan plant-based products and beauty supplies and things like that. They're really trying to make it on this foundation of them being plant-based. So of course we want to promote them. So having this event brings like whenever we do this event, it brings all these small businesses together and it, I think it serves two purposes. One, it lets everybody know that this, this this plant-based stuff is actually available and it's available right in your backyard all these guys are from new york new jersey pennsylvania so nothing is that far and it also it gives them a stage like it gives them a venue it gives them a platform to be able to grow you know some of these people can't afford storefronts yet you know some people aren't even close to that in in the journey of making their their business successful so it's supporting these vendors these small businesses in new jersey the best we possibly can because i really think that's how you make change on a macro level in new jersey it mm -hmm. has to start with how available things are and the people that are making it available and that's that's these small businesses yeah that sounds awesome i haven't been able to go yet but october would be hey, great thanks <laughs> yeah, come in October. So yeah. here's one thing to mention too. Like nobody's asking anybody if you're vegan when you're walking in the door. <laughs> right. I think there's like maybe like a snootiness, I think, that, you know, comes almost like a stereotype that comes along with some vegans, you know, that they're high and mighty and and, and we want none of that. Like that we there's absolutely no we are the the event is open to vegans and vegetarians and veg curious people and anybody that just <laughs> wants to meet up with their friends. Um, and it's meant to be a party and you're not walking around eating, you know, carrots and celery all day, although you can if you want to. I mean, there's plenty <laughs> of there's plenty of stuff like food that you would get that you, you can't get every day, meaning like there's uh, th there's this one vendor called Freakin' Vegan and all he does is macaroni and cheese with this like <laughs> vegan buffalo chicken that's like on top and there's Screamer's Pizza and all they do are or pizza slices and, and they're with all sorts of crazy stuff on there. They'll throw ravioli on there and like slices of vegan pepperoni and it's it's like a food show. Like I tell people like when you go to the, the Italian food festival in New York City, like you're not going there to eat a salad. Right. You're going there. <laughs> to have some amazing slice of pizza that you can't really get at any other time, you yeah. know? Like, you want something different, something unusual. Like, us vegans are eating hummus and salads every day. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, I mean, of course, the healthy food is sprinkled in there because we want it to be accessible and we want everybody to be happy. But um, but at the same time, it's like, let's now eat something that, you know, new twists on old favorites. I you like want to have say. some fun with it, too. Right. It's <laughs> meant to be fun. So the whole atmosphere of it is meant to be very warm and welcoming and fun, I would say, first and foremost. That's awesome. Thanks. Is there something that you're currently learning about or growing into when it comes to your own wellness? Yeah, I think I'll always, I'll always be constantly learning about, about who I am. I mean, that's kind of an endless journey for all of us, I feel, yeah. about like who I am mentally, who I am physically, and that's something that keeps changing too. So I, like, I, I think if we just kind of accept that we'll never 100% have a handle on exactly who we are and how we operate and it, like, which is not an easy thing to accept. But I think once we get to that place of kind of acceptance, you know, like accept, accept who you are, like in whatever form that is. And that form is constantly changing. It does kind of bring a lot of happiness. So, I mean, I have noticed now, I mean, I'm 34 years old. My metabolism is for sure not what it was. 
and like back when I was in my twenties and everything. So, and like, I noticed like, I guess you could say like something that I need to work on maybe from like a mental standpoint is that I get far too excited for all the work that I do. And so it, I don't then leave enough time for, for the physical activity that I really should be getting in my life. (laughs) So like learning that balance and like everything is constantly like all life is, is this constant evolution of who you are and trying to figure it figure it out so um so instead of like waiting to grasp so tightly on this is who I am and this is what I need and this is what I want Mm. sometimes sometimes you have to let things evolve and and let the chips fall fall where they may and 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 respect it you know if like if you're thinking man this is something I want in my life right now instead of thinking well this isn't normal or what would my family think or like sometimes you really just have to accept the thoughts that come into your head so Uh, So it's a lot of that. And it'll always be, that'll always be a shifting, endless journey, I feel. But it's exciting at the same time. Like once you kind of let go of this idea of of having this tight grip on, you know, knowing who we are and what we want and having so much control, it's actually pretty, it's pretty liberating. Mm. Um, And it's very freeing. and, and, And it's a really great place to be in, I would have to say. So, um yeah. Yeah. As soon as you started describing that, the word that came into my mind was free. Like I yeah. felt like oh, I feel freer just hearing you say that, that yeah. you're not, even though you are an expert, you are not saying that you have all the answers and how have everything never. figured out forever, you know? Never. So nobody will. And yeah. you know what? And, and I never will. And nobody ever will. And I got to tell you, I think anybody that claims that they do is, I mean, selling come something. On. Right. They <laughs> have to be selling something. There's the bias, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody will ever, even the person that seemingly, seemingly has it figured out so much, like there's always a limit to that. And who knows who they'll be tomorrow? Who knows who we'll all be a month from now, a year from now? We're all constantly evolving, you know? So don't, don't cheat yourself out of the natural evolution by trying to control it. Just let yourself be who you are and then figure it out as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. It's like, it's the work of your lifetime, right? Is It is. is. um, Absolutely. And even just accepting that in that moment, that might be hard for you and saying that's okay too, right? Yeah. It's all stuff that's really not easy. Like it's really not easy at all. Um, And there are times where maybe you feel like you can have that mentality entirely and be very accepting of who you are and where you are in your life. And, and there'll be other times where you won't be. And I think that's, that's all part of it too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I think the the word that I keep on saying that I would have to say the theme is, is acceptance, you know, there just has to be a level of acceptance of who you are, where you are and, and see what tomorrow brings, you know? That's awesome. I feel like that's a great note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having this conversation. I really appreciate oh, my pleasure. it. If you like the episode, I hope that you'll share it and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Um, it helps people to find the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me next time.